he was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. I always love that intro that Elliot put together at the start of each Drakecast episode. Let's find out how the sausage is made. This is episode number 54 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I wanted to give a quick shout-out to a couple of new patrons, Richard Brassington and Keith Buckle and Cornelius Hornblower Hubler. Thank you for your support. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, to get bonus content and dig a little deeper into the show. In today's episode, I interview Elliot Adler, the producer of one of the biggest fly fishing podcasts online and the assistant editor of The Drake Magazine. We talk about why he has chosen to leave the Drake cast, what he's up to next, and why he's got his head way up the industry's at. Uh, you know what? He shares his favorite episode of the cast, how you can get started, and his connection with one of the largest podcasts in the world. Don't miss this as Elliot shares his opinion on Team USA fly fishing and why he hopes you will never see them on ESPN. Before I get into the episode today, I wanted to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. The Gray Drake produces beautiful vintage fly boxes and wallets that are handmade in the USA, made with sustainable cork, reducing environmental impacts, and still providing for the highest quality product. A portion of all proceeds go to local fish conservation projects. Go to thegraydrake.com to get started today. We are also brought to you by the original tie right, which holds flies and hooks securely so you can tie your fly on with little effort. The uh, tie right senior holds hook sizes 2 through 14, and the junior holds hook sizes 14 through 24. Tie right can help you tie clinch, knot, uh, clinch knots and modified clinch knots and many other knots to suit your needs. Head over to tyright.com and get started today. That's ty-rite.com. So, without further ado, Here's Elliot Adler. How's it going, Elliot? It's going great. How you doing over there, Dave? Good, good. We uh, let's see. We chatted a while. I, mean, I guess we kind of been talking about the uh, the uh, film tour it was maybe where we kind of were connecting a little bit. And uh, you've had a lot going on. And you know, I, the Drake Cast is one of your big projects, and you've got an announcement. I guess you've already made an announcement, but I, I'd like to dig into all all things Drake Cast and your life and stuff like that. But um, before we get into all that, maybe we can just talk about how you got into fly fishing and how, how it brought you up to starting the Drake cast and, and now where you're at. So, yeah, I, I grew up spin fishing, of course, like most of us did. Um, and one day I was out fishing with my dad, and he had recently gotten into fly fishing. We were fishing for bass on a small river in Wisconsin where I grew up. And he handed me the fly rod, which I was a bit hesitant about because my dad had it and he just wasn't cool in my eyes back then. <laughs> uh, caught a couple fish on it and it's just obviously more fun than catching a fish on a little MEP spinner. And from there, uh, would spin fish a bit, but kind of just stuck with the fly rod from there on out. That was probably in middle school, fished through high school. And then um, in college, I moved from Wisconsin out to Seattle, fished a bit out there, really got into it probably my junior and senior year, um, mainly for trout 
on the east side of the state and then like the high mountain lakes and whatnot. Uh, after I graduated college, went up to Alaska for a season, started guiding up there for salmon. And um, through that process, started really considering a life in the outdoors industry, specifically the fly fishing industry. And the whole guiding thing was all right, but I knew I couldn't do it forever. And so I started writing about my experiences, sold a couple pieces to the Drake. And then once my second season in Alaska ended, I basically recorded a story I'd written and tossed some music and a few sound effects in the background, sent it over to Tom Bai at the Drake magazine and pitched him on an internship, which would be to create a podcast for the magazine that would like supplement the written magazine. And um, from there, started making audio stories. About four months later, got hired on as the assistant editor and the producer of the Drake cast. And that came out maybe in like June of 2017. And so that's what, and then I've just been doing that for the last like year and a half or so. Yeah. Cool. And, and so how much time, so as the assistant editor, how much time does the podcast take you? I mean, I know you've done some stories and you traveled around and stuff. Is that pretty much the majority of your week working on, you know, the, the cast and stories there? Yeah, yeah, I would say it's probably an 85-15 split. The majority of my time goes towards the podcast, and then as the magazine is coming to a close, I do some editing on other stories and submissions, and um, then write maybe two to 4,000 words for the actual magazine each issue, which is just four times a year. So, um, yeah, between the podcast and then posting links to the website and things like that. That was probably the majority of my time and energy at the magazine. Okay. Okay. And yeah, I, uh, in a recent episode, uh, you, you guys had, you, uh, you announced that, uh, you're going to be wrapping up, uh, the Drake cast and that's definitely kind of, uh, surprised me a little bit. I, you know, I do, maybe it was coming, but, um, you know, when you go back to June 17, when you started, what um, is this kind of when you look back on it? What what you thought how it would all go down, or maybe you can talk about the whole process and how it's gone for you? Yeah, I, I think when I started, I was going to be really happy if we could get five thousand downloads an episode, just as a metric for how this thing could stay be financially solvent. You know, like um, if we could sustain my time and energy through sponsorships. And eventually we hit that. And so that was really cool. And I got to travel all around and talk to really amazing people and cover some stories that I was really interested in and ask questions that I wanted to know the answer to and then try to present that all in an approachable manner to listeners. And so I was happy with how things went. I think what kind of led to the end of the podcast is that when I started it, I didn't know what I was doing. And in the last year and a half, I have learned a lot about storytelling and audio production, but I still feel like I really don't know what I'm doing and I'm not doing it at the caliber that I'd like to be. And so I, right now it's kind of like a going back to school. I'm trying to get an internship within the audio world. Um, so that I can like learn what I was doing wrong and what how I can basically better tell stories because 
after 50 episodes, I felt like, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners felt like I had just rehashed the same story, maybe on a different river, kind of over and over again. And I didn't want to become stock or like just be plugging these different pieces into the same equation. And so that's kind of why I came to an end. But during the whole process, it was it was a ton of fun. And I got to travel all over the place, meet yeah. tons of great people. Totally, totally. No, and I... I didn't listen to every single one of your episodes, but I listened to a lot of them. And um, yeah, I mean, I, you uh, definitely did an awesome job. I mean, I know, I think that's the cool thing about the way you talk here is that you, you, you talk about always improving. And I think no matter who you are in life and where you're at, I mean, we should all be thinking that way that no matter what level you are, you can always improve. So that, now it's cool to hear because I think a lot of people probably listen to your, your stuff and they're like, man, this this is pretty much, you know, to the top of the game, all the editing. And I'm sure all the time you put into that, I know from my perspective, how much that, uh, should take you. But, you know, I, I, I've asked this question, I guess on a recent episode and I'm not sure if you, you've heard of Seth Godin, but he's, uh, you know, got a bunch of kind of marketing stuff out there. I just love the stuff he talks about. And one of the, the things he, he says you need to ask yourself when you talk about, you know, building, you know, a movement or a business or whatever is, you know, how, how are you starting a ruckus? And, um, not sure if that means anything to you, but when you, you talk about, um, you, you know, kind of not being good enough and changing it up and being different. That's what I think about that. You're actually trying to do something a little bit different. Is that, is that what you're always thinking about trying to start a ruckus or be different than everybody else? Um, I don't know if it, I, I think be, being different is a big part of it. I mean, with any successful business, you have to fill a niche either that isn't filled or you got to be doing it better than everybody out there and a lot better than everybody out there so that you're gathering a larger share of that pie that's out there. Um, and so I was kind of trying to do something different with the podcast and that was produce stories within the fly fishing industry that are have like a narrative edge to it. It's not a Q&A. It's not a back and forth. It's let's start here, ask a question, work our way through that question and end up with end up somewhere different than maybe where we thought we would end up. Um, and while doing that, like I said before, I just wanted to be asking questions that I found interesting. Like what's the impact of this dam on this river? What's the impact of stocking these fish in this river in Michigan and the number of steelhead you can pull out of it every day? And how, what's that overall impact on the fishery, on the watershed, on the local economy, on the people who depend on the watershed? And so um, that's kind of what I set out to do when maybe we were saying start a ruckus. I don't know if this was a ruckus, but while doing that, I found a few limitations and that um, being tied to the Drake magazine was a really good thing to attach our name to an already established entity within the fly fishing industry. But at the same time, there are a ton of sponsors of the magazine that I couldn't really turn the microphone on and ask the questions that I wanted to be asking. Hmm. I kind of tried to do this with Sims um, mm -hmm. in one episode uh, it was about the beginning of the tour where I went and toured the factory and tried to get into the whole made in America thing because yep. Sims does make their Gore-Tex waders in the U S but everything else they make is not in the U S yep. 
And how could I go in and really highlight that and say, like, you guys are being a little bit hypocritical here um, without pissing them off in a <laughs> way that they were going to pull ad dollars from the magazine. Right. Um, there are other companies within the fly fishing industry that claim to be like very grassroots and small and movements yet they're owned by huge corporations that yep. really pollute the environment. And they're, when they post on social media, the hashtag save our streams, hashtag no pebble mine, those hmm. sorts of things. Um, they're really not acknowledging the financial backing that they're receiving that's allowing them to stay in business. And so those are the sorts of questions. And I also just don't think that there's much of an appetite for that within the fly fishing industry for the majority of people who don't work in the industry, they go to fly fishing for their escape and they're not looking to read exposés about the, like Tom wrote one about the fly fishing collaborative and the really shady fundraising tactics that they were employing across the U S and absolutely no one cared about that. I recommend people go and read it. It's on the Drake's website. Just type in Fly Fishing Collaborative. Um, and so kind of the journalism, the reporting that I was trying to be doing, just there's not much of an appetite for that within the fly fishing industry. And I think that's another reason that I'm trying to get out and expand is to um, learn more about that and maybe find a little bit more of a willing audience. Uh this that kind of segued away from it, but starting a ruckus, mm-hmm. you gotta. Yep. Um, I, I think it's right on, man. I think you're. I think you hit exactly what uh, Seth Godin was talking about. Um, and you know, you're you're realizing and, and kind of getting out of this, understanding you know the stuff you just talked about there, and that that is really interesting because I've I've had some other guests on, and we haven't got into a lot of depth there, but um, you know, Steve Duda, we talked about. Um, conservation a little bit um i don't talk a ton about that but i know you know he mentioned on the show on on that episode that um you know we should all be talking about conservation and and we should and uh he notes that in every episode or you know every uh uh, issue of their uh, magazine they have a little conservation piece even though it gets the least amount of reads right um you know that's the sort of stuff the most important stuff like you're saying, people don't necessarily care about. And, and the industry is another thing that's come up. I've had this question. I actually had a, uh, one of my listeners who I talked to on the phone, um, told me he is so tired of hearing podcasts, hosts and people out there call fly fishing an industry. And I was like, damn, you're right. I've been calling because, you know, for the people that aren't in the industry, they don't want to hear that. It's a culture. It's, it's beauty. You know what I mean? So it's just this different, it's, it's almost a disconnect. It's a complete disconnect. And when someone like myself has their head so far up the industry's ass, it's hard to look outside of it and see fly fishing for what it really is and why we all got into it. And so I think it is important for people to take a step back, myself included. And But at the same time, when you are taking that step back, are you really addressing the questions that are going to lead to the benefit of the like to the help better health for our fisheries yep yep no and and i think uh, just clean uh, finishing up that ruckus comment because it is a little different but i think you know if you wanted to go really deep into starting that ruckus and stay in it you would dig deeper right in, into that what you're talking about and how do you 
you know, how do you expose more of that and, and all that stuff? And it sounds like you've got probably a little bit bigger thing, some stuff on your mind, you know, outside of fly fishing that you can, you know, you're, you're young. So you got, a, you got a lot of time, a lot of stuff to do in the world. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, kind of always thinking, you know, and you're changing up. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Like, um, you know, just changing it up a little bit here. How, how, um, you know, you got, you have plans, you have it all scheduled out or what do you, what do you think? <laughs> Um, so I'm living in New York now. I've been here for three weeks and I'm working as a production assistant on fashion photo shoots, which is the last thing I thought I would be doing. Wow. But um, actually one of the listeners of the Drake cast is a producer in this industry and hit me up over Instagram and said, hey, like the podcast, you're moving here. Huh. If you need work, I always have work through this company that I work for. So I've been doing that um, and then applying to internships and like pitching story ideas to various podcasts mainly on the east coast but um yeah just kind of making a turn i'll still have one foot in the fly fishing industry i'll still read moldy chum every other day (laughs) i'll uh i still subscribe to a few of the magazines and will continue to do so and i'll still write for the drake um from time to time yeah but it's it's just kind of a changing the direction. And I think getting back to the whole making a ruckus thing, like there are ways to present this information in an interesting way um, so that listeners do pay attention or readers do pay attention. And I just am trying to find a more innovative way to tell these stories that I'm passionate about that people might actually listen to, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Just to wrap that up. Yeah, yeah, and so that's connects to what I'm doing right now within my career. Gotcha, gotcha. No, that sounds good. And I wanted to dig more into the Drake and uh, you know, kind of some of the history there. But before we get there, you mentioned you know just about podcasting and getting into it. And don't you, as far as family, do you have a, a connection? Is is your brother or some family member also a podcaster? Yeah. So my brother, um, about five years ago, moved to New York to start working in the podcasting realm and he is a producer at radio lab which is put out by wnyc um if you haven't heard of it go check it out and he he really kind of he definitely paved the way for me to make an entrance into this industry and like gave me my first recorder and told me which microphone to buy and has been a bit of a mentor throughout it but um it's also tough to work in the same industry as a family member and keep a healthy familial relationship as well as like addressing work. And so we've kind of separated our two. He's my brother. Yep. He's very much primarily my brother and my mentor second or third. Gotcha. And we talk about things like that, but try not to go too deep. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. And because radio lab is a pretty, I mean, definitely I've, uh, it's pretty big, right? Is it, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's big. And like, if you listen to parts of the Drake cast, you'll hear influence from it. You'll hear basically really cheap bastardizations of Radiolab <laughs> okay. at different times throughout the Drake cast. Totally. Well, uh, John, John Gearock, I'm not sure if you've read much of his stuff, but um, he um, he's coming up. Or Well, let's see. He's already been on, I guess, but uh, on episode 47. And, uh, and he noted uh, just talking about his readers and stuff and you know and like my show is that i'm only as good as my uh you know my guests that's that's kind of my uh you know that that's what keeps me going so 
um, you know, having good guests on and having interesting stories again, which is really, is obviously really important. But, um, yeah, so I want to check on, you know, the Drake cast. So it's, it's going away, uh, at least kind of for a while, maybe, maybe forever. But, um, if somebody was out there and they wanted to jump in and, and pick up the Drake cast, what, you know, I mean, that's kind of just a, kind of a, a random thing, but you know, what would you tell them? What, what would be some tips to say, like, you know, how could you get into podcasting? What could they do to get in a position where not necessarily the Drake, but just get, get to that point where they can do a podcast and, and start something cool? I mean, you're as qualified to answer this as myself. I think I had a little bit of a, a boost at the beginning, just being associated with a known entity within the fly fishing world of the Drake magazine. Um, whereas you were building from scratch, which mm-hmm. I totally applaud. And I don't think we would have gotten to where we made it without having the Drake name in it. Um, so if you can somehow attach yourself to a known publication or group, maybe pitch a, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no I was just, something? no, go, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just thinking that, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Right. Um, Companies have some ad money laying around that they're willing to try something unique on sometimes. So pitch a fly rod manufacturer or something and say like, hey, I want to take a dive into your production process and put out a five-episode miniseries of it. Can you give me this money? Um, Which is a cool way to, one, learn how to do what you're doing as well as make a little bit of cash on the side. That's one way to motivate yourself to keep doing it. Um, Otherwise, just grab a microphone and start asking questions. Model yourself off of your favorite podcast that is already out there. Um, the, the audio editing software is cheap, sometimes free, and um, there's a lot of tutorials online, and it's a growing, growing industry. And I also think that, like we talked about this earlier, set healthy expectations and achievable expectations like for you it was the thousand listeners a month and you've nailed that which is awesome you're you're probably not going to create a full-time job out of this but that doesn't mean you can't do it for fun and i there's this cliche that i've been throwing around for a while that's like all anyone is looking for is some community and if i look at like the fly fishing after dark or the trailer park fly fishing podcast guys like they have a huge community built around that podcast and they're not making any money but they're having a good time with it and i think that's the same thing that you're doing with the wet fly swing and so if you don't find a community that you're looking for out there uh build your own (laughs) yep yep that's another uh you know again seth godin uh noting him again he's got a book called tribes and uh, it's it's just a great book for anybody that wants to you know dig into that exact thing you're talking about. There is that yeah we're all looking for for our tribe, and uh, and yeah you can start your own and and just start thinking it is it is pretty easy. The, the well it's not easy to be great, but it's easy to get started. And and literally you can um, yeah I mean you can pick up a mic for you know thirty bucks or even a pretty good one for eighty. And, uh, and a lot of the other stuff could be free, you know, as long as you have a, a laptop. So yeah, it's a pretty amazing, uh, day and age we live in it. You know, you look at my show as a great example the fact that, you know, I'm basically a kind of a nobody, but I've managed to connect with some of the biggest, uh, people in fly fishing, um, this year and uh, had some pretty good uh, shows and, 
I've learned a lot and I think a lot of people out there have learned stuff. So no, it's, it's a lot of fun, man. So I'm, I'm excited to keep digging into it. Um, I did want to switch to the Drake, uh, you know, magazine and, and all that. Could you talk a little bit about just the history of the Drake and Tom by and, and cause I don't have that all kind of in my mind. Is that something you could touch on for us? Yeah. Um, I'll give the real short version. I did interview Tom about this in one of the episodes, maybe somewhere in the thirties, uh, for the 20th anniversary of the magazine. So um, if you want the full thing, go there. But basically, Tom was working in Jackson Hole as, I think, a fishing guide and then at the local newspaper. And he wanted to put out a kind of quirky fly fishing publication because he felt like at that time, the American Angler and the Fly Rod and Reel and all those were basically regurgitating the same stuff. And this was when powder had come out and these other kind of off the beaten path outdoorsy magazines were really popping up all over the place and so he published one issue of the drake in 1998 and um over the last 20 years he went from producing one issue a year now it's at four um and i think 10 years ago he got enough financial backing to do it full time at four issues a year and the Drake is unique because it reads like this side project that somebody is doing um, where they really don't have anything to lose. The editor doesn't have anything to lose, yet it also has really good storytelling, photos, and journalism throughout it. Um, so that's kind of the history of the mm-hmm. magazine. And so kind of some of the issues that come with that is that it still has some inside jokes that have been around for 15, 20 years, like the Ask Trask, which is people write in stupid questions to Tom's deceased dog, <laughs> and Tom answers them in the voice of his deceased dog, Trask. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, if you don't know what the hell is going on there, that's unappealing, and it's kind of off-putting to some people. Huh. Um, also, I think the Drake is for like a pretty diehard angler. There are whole sections called like red split, red spread and permit page. And for lots of newer anglers or people who just love trout fishing, they don't even know what the hell a permit is. Um, if anybody listening to this doesn't, it's a type of saltwater fish. Um, and so there are some branding issues that are in there, but what I, why I wanted to start with the Drake is because it was this kind of quirky irreverent voice within the fly fishing world. Um, that I knew I could goof around with. And Tom has given me full access to do really whatever I want, mm-hmm. which was really amazing. Hmm. Except for uh, lose, lose sponsors for the magazine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that was a choice on my own end. He, he didn't cut anything out. I just knew there are, there are hard lines that you can cross. Um, and sometimes it's just not worth it. And I think that I made that decision, um, to not really pursue some of those stories because of that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I hope to, uh, I hope to have Tom on, um, you know, to talk more about this down the line because I'd love to love to dig into more just on how he feels, you know, about how it's all going (laughs) because you mentioned nothing to lose, you know, for him. And it's kind of, that's an interesting thing. Like how does he get to a point where, he can have a magazine where he, he can, you know, feel like maybe he's writing like he has nothing to lose. Is that, do you think there's more to it than that? Or is it just the fact that he's got backing and he doesn't have to, well, I mean, he has sponsors still, so you, you still have that with the magazine. 
Right. Um, with Tom, I, I don't want to speak for the man, but uh, to a certain extent, he helped really create fly fishing as it is today. He was a big influencer in that. Like, there was a group of people that lived in Jackson Hole that went off in different directions. Oliver White was one of them. Oh, yeah. Um, Andrew, or Carter, Carter Jackson. Carter Andrews. Yeah. Is that I, his name? Yes, yeah, Carter uh, of Andrews course. <laughs> was another one. Um, and then some guys who went off and started big in the back country skiing industry and other like split boarding industry that all kind of spread out and maybe Jim Klug from uh, Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures and they really maybe fly fishing was primed to blow up and be cool yep. but I think that there's a pretty small group of people that helped make it what it is today and there will always be some respect for that and I think that that's why the Drake will continue to stick around um yep but i also do think that like our instagram presence is pretty paltry uh certain things like that where we're losing out to these new quote-unquote media companies like bad fish or fly lords and things like that like the media landscape is drastically changing but there's a difference between keeping a sustainable number of subscribers like the magazine has and like continuing to be that influencer at the forefront of the industry forever. Yep. Now those are, those are some big topics because you, uh, that's probably the struggle as you get bigger, you know, you have these companies that start out like, I'm not sure who they are, but they're the grassroots. And, you know, again, that's that tribe they're building it and people are loving. And all of a sudden you get to this turning point where you become this big corporation, you know, or whatever at that level. And all of a sudden you lose your connection and, and all that cool stuff that, got you to where you are um you know i'm not sure if that's where the drake will be struggling with that and you know how do you think I, I, yeah. to just yeah. to add in there i don't think that the drake will ever become corporate right now it has <laughs> two it has one employee and one part-time employee yeah there's tom the owner and then there's the circulation specialist don and then there's jeff mueller who's the senior editor gotcha. it has no risk of like ever becoming corporate but I do think that they are losing out on revenue from sponsors in a way that maybe bad fish and like fly lords are coming in and stepping into that. And I think those are the companies that we actually need to be keeping our eyes on because they're so in tune to the social media landscape and maybe aren't as committed to the authenticity of their brand and are maybe willing to do some questionable things in order to get those followers to get those likes. Right. Like there, there I'm trying to set aside the Drake as having these values yeah. that might actually be detrimental to the brand and to the amount of money that they're coming in versus a new era of media companies in fly fishing and anglers. Yeah. And, things like that that are willing to sell their soul in order to increase their visibility to continue as an influencer and whatnot. I mean, if you look at the Patrick Duke scandal, that's that's a prime example. And I think that there's a lot of that going on that is not being called out. Yep. No, you, I think you're right on. I mean, I totally agree. And it's, uh, 
You know, I, I can't put myself in the place of, uh, you know, some of those brands that maybe are doing some stuff that's, you know, uh, I don't know if we call it shady, but just a little bit different, you know, but, you know, I, yeah, I guess it's a good question. You know, I think all the way back, uh, John Shuey, or uh, let's see, what episode was that? I'm trying to think now. I had, um, oh, yeah, it was a while ago, but we were chatting about um, basically, you know, again, that subscribership, how you kind of have this following and, you know, and that's going, that's going well, but at a certain time, does that slowly dissipate and go away if you don't keep an eye on the changes with social media and everything that's going on? Or, or if you just stick to your guns and you have your, your core group, you know, you're good to go. Those are some kind of some big questions. Yeah. Uh, there, I think we all have to sell our soul a little bit to stay relevant. Um, it's just how, how much are you willing to sell? Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, I, where you draw that line. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. The original Tyrite is a long-standing accessory loved by fly fishermen for decades. It's an accessory you won't live without once you uh, try it. No more drop flies or hook fingers. If you haven't seen this uh, tool yet, it's pretty simple. It looks like a like a pin, a little ballpoint pin with a retractable clip. That allows you to hook, basically hook the bend of your uh, your fly in, so you don't have to worry about fumbling with the tiny little fly or hooking your finger, and you just kind of finish the knot like spinning spaghetti on a fork. Just quickly do your twists and you know stick the um, the tip it through, and you're good to go. All parts are manufactured and assembled in the USA with a 100% lifetime guarantee. And I like to uh, use the example of the uh, tiny little blue-winged olive in, you know, in the wintertime. And that's always a good example because you know your feet are, fingers are cold and sometimes it's hard to hold those little guys. Uh, but the tie right makes this easy. You know, Using a size 18 BWO, you'd be using the, the tie right junior. And it just makes it a snap. So uh, just wanted to give a heads up uh, for everyone. This is a great tool from a great company. I'm excited to have them on and want to... Uh, uh, get you guys to head over to tyrite.com and check it out today. That's ty-rite.com. We're also brought to you by the Gray Drake, who produces a high-quality vintage fly wallet and boxes. Their motto is progress through tradition, respect through stewardship. The fly wallets are handmade in the USA with sustainable cork. These fly boxes are naturally self-healing, which basically means you, you can put a small little tiny midge or a huge stone fly and the box um, recovers every time so it, it doesn't wear out. They have a couple of cool products um, in the wallet category, including their Ho River uh, double storage wallet. And uh, you'll definitely be proud of these uh, these wallets when you check them out. I have one of my own and definitely know from personal experience, I really love the old fly wallets that my my dad has. And I always love looking at those and putting in flies. And I remember even my grandpa, my, looking at my grandpa's that my head passed down to my dad. And there's something about these fly wallets that just brings that, you know, that traditional vintage feel back to you. So the Great Drake definitely has that same style going with their wallets. And um, that classic feel is what you get. So right now, head over to the Great Drake and they'll be donating, uh, donating a portion of proceeds um, from all sales at the end of the year to Wild Steelheaders United to help defend remaining wild steelhead. Head over to thegraydrake.com to get started today. That's T-H-E-G-R-E-Y drake.com. Okay, back to the show. 
So, so I was in this whole thing. I was kind of thinking about sports. I'm not sure if you're much of a other sport. Do you do, you do anything uh, or ever been ever been into basketball or baseball or any of that stuff? Um, I'm aware of what these sports are. I probably couldn't name more than half a dozen teams in either of those yeah. arenas. Okay, but go ahead, go ahead. I'll so, work with you. Yeah, yeah. All right, so work with me on this one because I was a huge basketball, baseball sports person for most of my life. You know, I mean, it was like I woke up at you know, by when I was five, right? My dad was almost a uh, pretty close to a pro basketball player and stuff. So he's like semi-pro. But yeah, my whole life. And then, um, you know, things changed. But God, where was it? I guess, you know, I had my first kid, I guess, seven years ago. And I just didn't have time to, to like watch sports or, you know. And I still like playing it. But I just, so I cut out all the sports watching. Um, but I just watched, I was at the gym and I watched some highlight they had on the NBA and, uh, you know, back in the like seventies, I think it, it went through a really rough time. There was people that, I mean, there were fights, people were getting knocked out on the floor. It was this bizarre thing. And it got so bad that they didn't even play, um, the NBA finals in prime time. They actually recorded it and played it like 11 o'clock at night or something weird like that. Wow. So it was this big struggle. And you look at the NBA now, which is this whatever multi-billion dollar industry, you know, this thing. And it's, you know. And what happened was, big part was Magic Johnson and uh, Bird came in in the early 80s, and then Michael Jordan came. Um, and I start to think about this because I'm going to be interviewing, um, and this isn't a good comparison to make, but um, Team USA, fly fishing, right? Um, I got Russell coming on, Russell Miller coming on soon. And nobody talks about Team USA very much. <laughs> you know, like I never, it's, just, oh, most people just say, God, Team USA, why, why do you want to compete in fly fishing? Um, and I'm not even sure where I was going with that, but, um, you know, can, is there a way to get team USA and that whole thing, you know, like up to another level, or is that some idea that, I mean, what, what's your take on that whole thing? Or maybe just think about team USA. Um, honest answer. I hope to God that team USA fly fishing is never publicized on ESPN Sports, the finals. Yeah. Um, I I don't think that would be healthy for probably be healthy for rod makers in the industry as we've been calling it. Yep. But I I think that I think fly fishing competitions, in my personal opinion, are a bastardization of the sport, and it is. It is. Give me a second here. It's taking every reason we love fly fishing and throwing it out the window and rewarding the worst impulses. But that's just my humble opinion. And again, this isn't an interesting thing to say. This is echoed by a lot of people out there. If you're in competition angling, like, cool, go, go do that. But it's not for me. And I, I don't want to have a part in it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, that's a definitely a valid take for sure. And, um, you know, part of my, uh, conversation, I had, um, you know, Devin Olson on a while back we got it. We talked a lot about Euronymphing and I think that's one of the things that people want to hear about because, well, I guess that's probably maybe the coolest thing that comes out of the team USA and that stuff is that you get, uh, these people that get really, you know, develop new kind of new skills and things like that. And, the Euro nymphing thing is something that's is kind of out there, and I haven't done much of it uh, or any of it really. 
but it's it's helped people maybe catch more fish and you know on that subject do you, do you feel that there is some innovation that comes from that and that there's some value there or do you think that's something that maybe isn't that important maybe comes anyways down the line i think it comes down the line but if the honest truth is if we all wanted to be catching more fish we'd just be using fucking worms yeah like there is a reason that we're fly fishing and for me I do enjoy catching fish, not going to lie about that. But if I wanted it, I, if I wanted to go to the campfire at the end of the day and say, I caught 39 fish, I would be using a different technique. I probably would not be fly fishing the way that I am today. And so I've fished with those numbers, guys, and they're, they're not fun to be around, in my opinion. Yeah. And so if that's why you're doing it, um, take a different I'm going to try to find a different section of water than you um but if that's why you're into fly fishing that's great and if you want to like be an innovator and euro nymph and catch a ton of fish that's awesome but also maybe take a step back and throw a dry fly on every once in a while Mm -hmm. you know just a dry fly yep yeah again I I haven't I have these deep-rooted kind of visceral reactions to things like competition fly fishing for some reason, and I haven't really allowed them to take up much space in my very much space in my brain, which is not fair to <laughs> Euronymphing and the fly fishing competitions. And I probably should be able to sit down and like write out why I dislike him but for me it's just kind of a, a visceral reaction much like some people would never vote for a democrat or some people would never vote for a conservative and i do acknowledge that what the way i'm speaking right now is not constructive and so what maybe maybe no. send me this question and i'll write you an email about why i think it is no i think it is constructive this is the this is the good stuff because it's uh you know it gets people thinking if you haven't thought that this about this way maybe it gets you thinking a little bit differently and you know i think again that's the reason why having these conversations are so good because hopefully um you know maybe somebody will have a different take on it or at least think of another side and i think when you mentioned democrats and republicans that's the biggest problem with politics well at least especially right now how how basically it gets so bad that you can't even work together you know i mean bottom line is is um you know you've got to be able to like at least work together or talk. And, uh, if you, if you get so extreme that you can't do that with, uh, whether it's a bait fisherman or whatever, then uh, I think we're kind of in a, in a bad place. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, I was acknowledging myself being in a bad place there and I'm, I would like to move away from that. I've, I've, I have your name. I've, I stayed on like a good dude that took me in for a couple nights when I was in the middle of Colorado and my car broke down was on the junior USA team. And he was an awesome guy um, and taught me how to urinate and like caught a ton of fish and helped me do the same. It's just not, it's not my cup of tea. Also it, it's uh, it hurts my arm to just hold it up at that <laughs> level the whole time to, to be completely honest. But, yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, so now what's this, uh, this car thing, the car breakdown was this, uh, I think I may have seen some pictures. Was this a big old school Cadillac? Uh, no, that, that's Clyde. That car breaks down all the time. I, this was about my minivan, but, um, yeah, there, there's a whole 
bucket of bolts and screws about Clyde if you want to go into that. Okay, okay. Well, let's, let me get a, let me get to a couple more here before, and if we have time, I'll, I'll draw, uh, jump into Clyde at the end. Fair enough. What, uh, you know, I, I, always, I occasionally, I guess, ask the mentor question, um, but just kind of getting to where you, I mean, obviously your brother had some influence. Were there, was there anybody else that along the way has helped you to to get into this thinking of where, where you're heading and, and um, I guess it's communications or what, what would you call the, the industry you're in? I'd say it's media. Okay. Um, just generally it's media. Um, yeah, I mean, I've met a bunch of my brother's friends out in New York through him that work within different uh, facets of podcasting um, and they've really been helpful throughout this process. One of the person I'm living with is uh, works within podcasting and is giving me tons of pointers and just uh, scheduling just informational interviews with people that I don't know, but I listen to their shows and just reach out to them and say like, hey, I love what you're doing. I love this specific turn in this episode. If we could sit down for a cup of coffee and hear the four questions I'd love to ask you, I'd be very appreciative of that. And so in that sense... A mentor um, within fly fishing, Tom Bai has been a huge mentor towards me. Um, I haven't honestly. I work for the dude, but I haven't spent a ton of time with him. But the days that I have spent on the water, or like just sitting around the office and chatting about fly fishing, have been really informative. Same with Jeff Mueller, hmm. senior editor of the magazine, um, and then some Lucky Porter. He's a guide based out of. Uh, Duluth, Minnesota for steelhead and muskie and smallmouth bass and everything. He's an amazing angler that has taught me a ton as well as um, just kind of embodies the whole fly fishing lifestyle Mm -hmm. of we're in this to have a good time and be outside and enjoy the resource. And so I've learned a lot from all of those people, I'll say. Yeah. Yep. That that seems to be a little bit of the struggle sometimes is that yeah, we're here, we're doing this to, to be outside, but then sometimes you find yourself getting stuck behind the computer or, or behind the phone doing social media stuff. So that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a little annoying. It is, it is. Um, and I, I also want to acknowledge that I'm able to not worry about numbers of fish I catch or, yeah, basically that because... I used to be on the water like 150, 200 days a year. So it wasn't, I wasn't the every third weekend warrior who felt like they had to get some sort of quantifiable experience out of each fishing trip they went on. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I'm coming at it from a very different set of privileges than the average angler, I'll, I'll say. And so it, I, I can allow myself to take a step back. But I think now, as I'm going to be fishing maybe once every 45 days, something like that, I, I might transition a little bit more towards that mentality. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Can you can you tell me a little more about that uh, that experience up there guiding? Was it the Saltry Lake Lodge up there in Alaska? Yeah, you've done your research. <laughs> uh, yeah, I worked at a lodge on Kodiak Island called Saltry Lake Lodge, um, fishing for salmon. Every once in a while, we'd get a steelhead. Like, um, when I had my days off, I'd usually go try to find steelhead. We had three rivers and a lake in our dredge. All the rivers were pretty small. But um, 
Alaska's amazing. There are bears everywhere. Uh, it wasn't the same experience that I have friends who work out at Bristol Bay and they do flyouts every day. We're staying mm-hmm. in a lodge and then driving basically souped up ATVs out to different spots on the river. And if you get a chance to make it up to Alaska, I highly recommend going. And if you can do some sort of wilderness trip in there where you're yep. going to get away from the crowds, get away from the road system, it's going to cost you, but it's worth it. Yep. Yep. I, I've, uh, I've had a couple of experiences up there and definitely you're right. The, uh, the wilderness, um, I had one where I was kind of, yeah, we jet boated up hours and hours to a remote camp and stayed up there for like a month and a half. And that was pretty, uh, pretty much a game changer. Um, so definitely, uh, recommend that. So now, but in back to that, um, I did, you know, as far as, um, I was thinking about Tom by again, um, just, you know, men- mentorship and things like that. Can you think of one thing or, you know, about fly fishing or life that, that Tom kind of taught you or something you remember? I'd say that, like, I, I'd been reading the Drake for a while before I pitched some stories to Tom, before I sold some stuff to him, before I started working for him. Um, and he was kind of always this mythical creature to me, as was Steve Duda at the Fly Fish Journal. And eventually I was able to sit down with both of them and eventually work for one of them and work with one of them. And it, it was a good reminder that like these people, your dreams, God, that sounds corny, <laughs> but like the things you're striving for are closer than they appear. I think you've probably experienced that with like getting on the phone with April and getting on the phone with Girac. Um, and so if you set your mind to something, you can most likely achieve it. God, that sounds corny, <laughs> but uh, that, that's probably what I learned the most from Tom. And then I spent a day on a river in Oregon with him floating. And he maybe made 15 casts the whole day and was having a great time. Hmm. And that really taught me to take a step back while fishing. And it's about the people you're with, like enjoying the reef resource and like poking over under rock and seeing what you see there after you've swung through it, you know, like and talking about why the river, why a fish might hold somewhere. And again, just taking a step back from the angling itself and considering the experience. Yeah. No, that's pretty much, yeah. I mean, the most important thing, no question. That's cool. Um, well, let's see, where are we at here? We got, uh, we are, or I guess we're getting closer here. I, I, I've got a few more I want to touch on before we get out. Um, let's see. I got a couple I, I like to ask, um, you, you know, kind of some general stuff. Before we get there, I was just thinking a little bit about, you know, the, the podcast and getting back to the Drake. How do you how, how do you choose the topics or guests? It, it, at least from my perspective, it kind of felt like you were, you were kind of all over the place covering all sorts of stuff. Were you just following what you were interested in? Yeah, I, I was. I would say that was 50% of it, and 50% of it was um, where I went, where I was just located geographically. Um, so, like, when I spent a month and a half in Wisconsin, I did a lot of Midwestern stories because those were the rivers that were there and started poking around asking questions. When I was in Ireland for a wedding, I turned that into a whole trip throughout Europe mm-hmm. and based it around Atlantic salmon because it turns out those are the fish that are in those North Atlantic countries. Um, and so it's, it's usually defined a bit 
there's some sort of lens that's put on it that's going to focus me on a certain area. And then from there, it's what comes to mind. I like fishing for smallmouth bass. I like trout. I like steelhead. Salmon are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. But let's also like, oh, I just drove over that river on my way here and it looked pretty nasty. <laughs> but there were also 60 people that I could see fishing it. Like yeah. something weird's going on there in that exact spot. Um, so just being observant and curious and then calling up a couple people doing a pre-interview, trying to find a narrative that I could follow through and from there, turning it into a story. Yeah. Yep. Turn the mic on. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now that's cool. And what do you think when you look back, you know, you have what, a few more episodes to do? Uh, yeah, I keep saying that when I find the time, I've got a bunch of tape from a steelheading trip that I took in the spring that, um, I think will turn out pretty well. And I've got some questions that I still want to ask, but, um, sorry. Yeah. What was your question? I've got a few more, but right now we're sitting at right around 50 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. I was just kind of curious how many more you have before you're, you're going to wrap things up. So yeah, maybe a few more, maybe a couple more months, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout the next, I'm talking with Tom about maybe throwing something in the feed about every 45 days. Mm, um, I see. which is probably achievable. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I, I'm able to structure my schedule and get in the right brain space to be able to do that. Yep. Okay. And we talked a little bit about this already, but is there one thing that you've kind of learned from, or the Drake cast has taught you or changed your, your mind? Is there anything else you want to expand on? Um, I think you see this in reality TV. You see this, um, in other places, but like a lot of people just want to tell their story. Mm -hmm. And so if you find something you're interested in and you put gives, if you get three people in front of you on a given topic, two of them are going to want to talk to you. And I think that that made my job easier that like I was always able to find willing participants, but it's also be hesitant of the version of the story that they are telling you. Mm -hmm. Everybody has crafted their own narrative around the experience that they're having in a way that benefits them. And so I think being, having a healthy dose of skepticism when you're going into reporting on a story, as well as when you're consuming a story, just be aware that every, there's no unadulterated narrative out there mm. um mm-hmm. so be, be as as my old english teacher in high school used to say was be a savvy consumer and <laughs> for people on our end like be a savvy reporter or interviewer the person who asks questions mm-hmm. i don't know if that's really what i wanted to talk about but that's what immediately came to mind yeah yeah no that that helps me definitely <laughs> thinking about you know my some of the interviews i've i've got into and, and you know thinking about your story you're, I mean, what do you think now? How old are you right now? I'm 25. Yeah, you're 25. There you go. So, so I got, uh, I got 18 years on you. Um, you know, thinking of your story, if you look back when you're 45, what do you feel like? Um, <laughs> you know, do you, do you have some things out there you want to do? I mean, what, what would you like? What, what, what would you like to when you look back? If when you're 45, what would you like to say you've accomplished? Um, man, it it's a great question that I probably should should consider as I try to plan out my future. But at this point, 
I'm looking just maybe three or four years ahead. I have lived the life of a nomad in kind of a dirtbag. Like, turns out there's not a lot of money in this whole fly fishing podcast uh, realm. And so I've been really poor for the last while and have had to move a lot. And with being on the road and with constantly moving comes uh, sacrifices that I wasn't able to like have a solid friend group in a given spot and things like that. And I think part of the reason for moving to New York is that like, I want to work in an office where I show up from eight to five every day or work that nine to five. And I want to have like a group of friends that I hang out with on the weekends because I've never tried that. And I think it might be kind of nice as boring as that sounds like that's mm -hmm. what I'm looking forward to in the next few years. And hopefully while I'm doing this, I'm able to gain some skills and maybe uh, carve out a lifestyle that hits a little bit on both of these things that I want, which is independence and ability to travel and ask questions, but also some stability. Mm -hmm. that, that's really what I'm looking for right now. There you go. There you go. That's pretty awesome. I think, uh, Depends on where you're at, you know, in life and who you are. It's, it's cool that you say, you know, you're, you're 25 because I occasionally ask the question to some of my older guests. And that one is looking back on your, your life. If you could look at your 25 year old self, what kind of, um, advice would, <laughs> what kind of advice would you give that person? And I've had good answers and bad ones on that. But, um, you know, I think I, I kind of stole that question, but, um, you know, I think, it's a good question to ask because, uh, well, and again, like I said, I don't always get good answers for it, but you're at a point where now you're looking ahead and, and, and I've mentioned myself that I wish when I was 25, I would have, uh, kind of been where you are. You know what I mean? Like as far as the stuff you're doing, because my head back then was basically all fly fishing. That's kind of all I was thinking about. And I was just a bum and it was great, but I think, man, imagine if I would have started the podcast back then or, or done some other amazing stuff where I would be now. So I don't know, I guess you can't look back and, and kick yourself, but those are the things that I think about. Right. Right. And I mean, this is also a cliche, but you never know what would have happened if it had, it had been different. Like, um, right now it's tough to get a job because I haven't held anything conventional within the audio production industry. I, I'm not experienced in a way that show, like looks decent on a resume. And so part of me is like, man, I wish I would have been serious in college and studied more and like figured out what I wanted to do, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't have had these great experiences over the last three years. Mm -hmm. So, yep, for sure. All right. Well, let's see. I, just a few more here before I uh, before we get out of here. Uh, as far as episodes, do you know which episode was kind of just by a numbers thing was your most popular one on Dracast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's kind, it's funny because it was the Q and A just sit down interview that I had with uh, Travis Schwartz, who is Hank Patterson, um, and it basically looked at the man behind Hank Patterson, who is Travis. How did Hank Patterson come to be? And it's episode number 30. It's called Hoppers and Droppers, the story behind Hank Patterson. Mm -hmm. um, which <laughs> it's, uh, I think a lot of people have more of an appetite for just a sit down Q&A because it's letting the other person tell the story. And I, of course, threw in some sound effects and like clips from Hank Patterson, uh, YouTube videos and things like that. But 
I think that was, it's informative because the stories I was telling, the stories that I was taking from start to finish did not get as much traction as um, letting someone who is known, letting somebody who's interesting really take control of the story. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you're doing has, it lends itself well to a larger audience. And I also think that had I just turned the Drake cast into a Q&A with famous people within the fly fishing industry, a la April Vokey, or yeah. like itinerant, some of Zach Matthews' itinerant anglers episodes, um, they both get way more downloads than the Drake cast ever has or ever will. But it also wasn't what I wanted to do. So um, yeah. figuring out what you're comfortable with as well as what the audience wants is probably... Gotcha. You can find a healthy medium in between. Yep, listening, uh, listen to your your audience or your readers, or yep, that's that's a good, good some good words of advice. So the hopper dropper intro is is Hank, right, on your show? Yeah, yeah. The hopper, I love, um, I love that. I, that is such a sweet intro. Can you uh, can you do a hopper dropper impersonation of that intro? Um, of Hank. Yeah. Or, or does that what, be? What, what it, so you got a hopper with a hopper dropper and a dropper hopper. It's something along yeah. those lines. And it's just, it was cut out from one of the first or second videos that he put out there. Oh, okay. And it's just objectively funny. It's recognizable. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, Tom, Tom told me to put that in. Oh, he did. I mean, yeah. And the whole intro, like I started, I threw that together a long time ago. And in hindsight, I wish I had done something more interesting, but as the brand built, that's what people expected yep. at the beginning. So I just left what it was. Yep. Yep. No, I think it's good. And I have uh, actually, I've talked to Hank and uh, I'm going to hopefully have him on um, in the future, but all, yeah, everything we've talked about, uh, I'll leave some links at wetflyswing.com slash 52 uh, for this episode. So we'll connect to some of the stuff you've been talking about there. Um, yeah. So now we talked about your most uh, popular episode. What's your most, uh, maybe your favorite, the, the favorite one that, that you've done. I think the story that was the most interesting as well as um, one of them that I did a a pretty good job on was number 11. It's called Big Streamers, Bigger Fish. And it's really about the birth of fishing really big streamers for big trout Hmm. and the explosion of the White River fishery down in Arkansas. And it's this kind of complicated backstory of these guys from Michigan came in and they had learned stuff from Michigan and you've got Kelly Gallup's influence in there. And so I think it does a good job in like a classic NPR sort of podcast. Like let's take this thing where it is today, but then let's take a step back and see how we got here and then where it's going to go in the future. Um, so I think from a storytelling point of view, that one turned out pretty well. Uh, and then there there are a lot of episodes that could have been great that turned out okay because I didn't have the time or I didn't have the knowledge to put it out there. Another fun episode I did was number 44, Midwestern Smallmouth Bass, which is basically just me and one of my best friends from high school floating down a river in Wisconsin chasing after bass, hmm. bass and like having a goofy time. And so those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I would, I would recommend people checking those out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Any, so on the bass, any, any bass tips you would, you would give somebody that's interested in, uh, catching some, were these smallmouth bass? Yeah. Yeah. They're smallmouth. Um, 
I what I will say is get Dave Karzinski and Tim Landwehr's book called Smallmouth like techniques, tactics, and fly fishing techniques, which I already said. But, uh, <laughs> that book is great. There, if you figure out, there's probably four different ways to fish for them: subsurface on the top, and then the size and the sound profile of the lure or fly that you're using. Um, and they're fun. They're just a fun fish to target. Yeah. And if you have a river that holds smallmouth bass near you, get a kayak, get a canoe, and go try to catch them because eventually you will. And they, they fight. They're not pretty, but they put up a good fight. Yep. Yep. It's just another species that's, uh, that's the great thing about it. The more you dig in, there's so many species out there that uh, if you're into fly fishing, you've got a whole lifetime to to explore and i've got a ton i've done well i've done some smallmouth fishing for sure i love it i love it as well so um well let's see i guess uh before we get out of here just well you mentioned the favorite um you know kind of the, the resource there in the book do you have another resource uh, other than you know the drake or any things you've talked about that you know you you love whether book magazine online resource for fly fishing um i think moldy chum is a pretty mm-hmm. good aggregator of i'm sh- a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with that, but it just it's got a video and maybe a couple links every day that are all related to fly fishing. And a lot of it's fish porn, yeah. as is most of what's going on in this uh, realm, but yeah. a lot of it asks some big questions. And then as far as like Instagram pages to follow, I would highly recommend checking out Rainforest Steel which is John McMillan, who I think you've had on the show. Uh, I haven't, but I, I'm going to. Yeah, no, I know John. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, it, each one of his Instagram posts is a beautiful photo of a fish, usually underwater, and a little biology lesson. I think those are – that's a great resource that's telling – giving scientific information in informative ways. Yep, yep. Why do you think – why do you think um, conservation is a topic that struggles to get, um, you know, especially thinking of like without conservation and all this stuff and everybody being a part of it, we're not going to have the resources. Why do you think that people don't care that much? Or it seems like, you know, you don't get a lot of listens or reads when you do a conservation piece. Um, oh, yeah, that's totally the case. Uh, down the numbers drop when you have something that within the first minute is referencing some sort of conservation, but, um, it's not sexy, you know, there's no, and for the most part, it's either this really bad situation is getting better or this really bad situation is still really bad. And neither of those are satisfying endings Hmm. when you consider the climax of the piece, you know, it's a, it's non-orgasmic, if you will. <laughs> um, also, people are just bombarded with information about what's wrong all the time. I mean, you look at the news, it's just yeah, cataclysmic all over the place. And getting back to fly fishing is a lot of people's escape. And they want to get outside and enjoy the fishery, but maybe don't want to take their Saturday that they have off and do a stream enhancement project or something along those lines. Um, go pick up garbage. Hmm. So I hear you. I hear you. It it is kind of crazy how the most important thing that we could 
be doing. But yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head. That's exactly what it is. There's so much. I mean, I I don't watch the news anymore. I mean, that's kind of funny to say, but it's just so bad. Yeah, I don't want to watch the top five stories or murder and and whatever else is up there. It's like that's just that's not the news I want to watch. But um, yeah, no. So uh, well, we've got a long ways to go for sure. And I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, ruin this one and talk about conservation anymore. But no. Um, yeah. Anything else you want before we get out of here? Any, anything, uh, you know, just about the Drake and, um, you know, that, that we didn't touch on here. I mean, I, I got a bunch of questions I think we're not going to get to today, uh, including, um, Alder and Sons lawn care, which, uh, <laughs> I, I looked at your bio and, uh, and I was kind of like, cause I remember back in those days when I was doing the bio stuff and it's like, okay, you got to have your, your, you know, everything on there. I, I guess before I get out, I, I did what, you know, on that, on that line, so was that a, I guess, a kind of a family business? What, what, um, did, did that, did that, did you learn some stuff about business there? Um, I mean, to a certain extent in high school, I had a lawn mowing business that I thought was funny to call Adler and Sons because oh, nice. I was 15, 16 years old yeah. and thank God I didn't have a child back then, um, for the child's sake. But yeah, I, I just, I think one through line throughout my life has been don't take things too seriously. If you listen to the podcast, I like to make fun of myself as well as the people that are around me. Um, same thing with that old business card for mowing old people's lawns and charging way too much money. It was an easy way to embed a stupid joke right under people's noses. And a lot of people didn't get it. Yeah. Um, so that that's where where did you find that by the way? I you know what I think I just googled you. I think I googled you, and I think it actually came up maybe on page one. I'm not sure. I'll have to look. I might have done some other, but yeah, there was some bio. I don't know. Maybe it was LinkedIn. Oh, it probably was. I think it was oh, LinkedIn. Jesus, yeah. Why the hell is that on my LinkedIn? I know. I love it. I, it was awesome because I went all the way down the bottom. I was like, I gotta, I gotta get some stuff here. And I was like, damn, lawn care. This is pretty. This is pretty good. <laughs> um. Yeah. For. Parents who have kids that are middle school age, don't have them get a job at Culver's or McDonald's. Have them start mowing lawns because they get to set their own schedule and they make a ton of money. There you go. That's that's a great tip. Nice. So uh, one fly, it, just all around, uh, maybe pick your species and pick your favorite fly. Um, I mean, what immediately comes to mind that's just most accessible uh would be smallmouth bass and something like a murdich minnow that's neutrally buoyant. And if you put some gink on it, it's going to be flashy and look like a bait fish pattern on the surface. And with it, you'll catch smallmouth and pike and the occasional small muskie and things mm -hmm. like that. Just mm -hmm. like envisioning myself in the home I grew up, uh, which was 400 yards from an awesome warm water river. That's what I took down there okay. most days of the week. Okay. Um, and, uh, your bucket list, do you have anything just to throw out a one quick one where you want to, you haven't been to or fish species or area? Yeah. I, I, I'd like to get back up to Alaska in the fall and do steelhead. Um, I've done it a couple times in the past to varying degrees of success, but there's something about Alaska when there's nobody else up there the colors have changed it's starting to get kind of the weather's getting crummy and 
most of the salmon are out of the system or are staging elsewhere and you can catch steelhead on a swung fly. Like that's, it, it rem- mm-hmm. I think it's partially like the lower E48 used to be this way and I can go elsewhere and still do it. There's something magic about it. Um, and just getting the hack out of everywhere, getting into the middle of nowhere, which is really cool. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and there's some easy, like cheap DIY ways to do that. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah, that's something I haven't touched on yet. A lot on is Alaska. We've talked BC and stuff like that, but I've got, oh, I've got a couple Alaska folks coming on to chat about just that. I'm actually going into a. Um, I'm hoping, hoping season three will be kind of a destination DIY season, so I can help some people. Oh, nice. Yeah, help help people to get to those places without spending a fortune. So I'm I'm working on that for season three. Um, Cool, Elliot. Well, I think we're there uh, in the next six to 12 months. I know you've got a lot of cool stuff. I mean, this is pretty, uh, you know, anything to expect from you? Are you just going to settle down and we'll see a couple of kids popping out here eventually? (laughs) No, no, (laughs) not at all. Um, I've got a feature coming out probably in spring or summer of the Drake magazine about a brook trout fishing trip that I took up to like northern Ontario with Lucky Porter, who's a guide, and Hansi Johnson, who's a pretty fantastic photographer, for also from the Duluth area. And so that, I'm really just trying to put some words to go along with Luck, or Hansi's photos because they're really, really fantastic. Um, other than that, uh, I don't have any fishing on the horizon. It's mm-hmm. I've kind of switched. Sure focuses which is a little depressing but yeah um that's that's so it is that's part of the that's part of the game yeah you sometimes you gotta narrow down and focus for a while and you're not gonna you're not gonna leave it you can come back to it um well i guess it is if people want to find you if they have questions is there will there be a way that that people in the audience here can connect with you yeah i'd say the easiest is probably just hit me up on instagram it's at cobalt jackson um cobalt like the metal jackson like Mm -hmm. the town in wyoming Mm -hmm. uh yeah hit me up or check out the drake cast if you type it in on itunes or stitcher really any podcasting platform it's the space drake cast one word yeah um and Maybe don't start at the beginning, but start maybe with episode number 11, The Big Streamer's Bigger Fish, and that'll give you a little flavor of what we've got going on. And Check it out. Write a review on iTunes, even if you don't like it. Like It's it's good to hear what people are thinking. Yep. Yep, for sure. Why? Well, you know, I love this conversation today because, uh, you know, I, I talk about being able to do these for long episodes, but, you know, every time you talk, you always, something else pops in my head, and I think I could keep going off on these tangents, but... I'm going to cut it off here because we're at, we're at the end for this one. But uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for uh, you know doing the Drake cast and um, you know doing your best to produce a pretty awesome show. And you've definitely taught me some things. Even you know today, I've, I've got a different perspective on things. And I think that's really what this whole game is all about. You know, kind of learning like we talked about. So yeah, I just want to appreciate you for putting the uh, putting the effort in and the time. And, and we'll look forward to hopefully keeping up with you down the line. Well, thanks for having me on here. Um, I don't think I've ever been on the receiving end of an interview. It's it's kind of fun, but it's also never really done it before. So I probably rambled on about some stuff that went just, it wasn't productive and probably wasn't that interesting to listen to. Um, 
but yeah, it was good to talk shop with you. Thanks for, yeah, some great questions that it was a pleasure to think about. Cool. And um, hopefully we'll be in touch and I look forward to hearing this and other episodes of the podcast that come out, Dave. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 52. That's five, two. Uh, another shout out to our new patrons, Richard Brassington, Keith Buckle, and Hornblower Hubler. We have some fun going on over there. So if you want, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Patreon. That's uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where a buck will get you started. And one other quick, easy way to subscribe to the show is to text uh, WFS to 31996. You're just a clink away, uh, click away. So thanks for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to connect with you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. 